Kiddos, you guys are dismissed off to class. Head on out now. Um, Everyone else, I'd invite you to stay. Uh, That would be the ideal thing. And then uh, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I have good news for you. Christian, can you bring up our keynote? It's not switched over. I see the first slide brought up. The good news I have for you this morning is this, that you are not stuck. It can feel like you're stuck this morning. Other people will tell you sometimes that you're stuck, but they're wrong. Your own self-talk will tell you, I'm stuck, but you're wrong. You may feel like you're on sort of the merry-go-round conversation in a relationship. Maybe you have some behavior that you feel like, I've been here before, I've done this before, I'm going to do it again, I'm stuck. I'm here to tell you that it is not hopeless and that you are not hopeless. You are not stuck. Not really. Not stuck for good. The gloriously bright good news of the gospel says so. It says that with God, all things are possible. God's good news is this. No matter what you're in today, there's a way out. There is a way free. There is a way home, a way forward. I'm here to tell you that fresh starts and new beginnings are real. Fresh starts and new beginnings are real. Just let that wash over you. If you don't believe me yet this morning, um, let it wash over you anyway, on the off chance that maybe that is true for you, for your loved one, for your circumstance. I realize that each morning that I step into the pulpit and preach, I'm always preaching uh, to at least two groups of people. If you're a Christian this morning, then you're a follower of Jesus, and you may feel stuck. I'm here to tell you, Christian, you're not. I want you to listen for this. We've been thinking about the book of Acts with this word activate. Activate. Get yourself going. Let God get you going. Today you're going to hear a command, but you're also going to see um, some how-to. God is gracious with us and doesn't just give us commands, but tells us how to do it. He shows us how to do it. Maybe you are undecided or decidedly unchristian. I want you to know that you are welcome here today. You're welcome if you're viewing this today on February 12th or at some point in the future, genuinely and sincerely. I am thrilled that every week we have people who are undecided, people who are seeking. By definition, you're trusting and following some other way, some other voice, and I want you to know that you are welcome. You may be curious and open, Or you may be listening this morning suspicious and closed. I'm glad you're here either way. Here's what you're going to hear today. You're going to hear a preacher preaching a sermon about, that's me, about a preacher preaching a sermon. That's Peter. Okay? Peter was one of the early disciples of Jesus. So you're going to hear a preacher preaching a sermon about a preacher preaching a sermon. Why do you care? Here's why. You care because of this. This sermon changed the personal history of 3,000 people in a single setting. 
And that 3,000 people whose personal history changed in a single sermon actually went on to alter the course of world history. So a single sermon, a single preaching of the good news, has massive ability in a moment to help you realize that you are not stuck. Past mistakes or injuries cannot keep you chained because of Christ. Present people and circumstances have no power to keep you where you are. And future dreams or fears do not have you bound as you might think. Fresh starts and new beginnings are real. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I'm here to tell you about it. The setting for all that follows for the rest of this morning occurs in a setting similar to this. The believers at this point are around 120 people. And Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says they were all together in one place. All together in one place. Don't ever discount believers coming together in one place. This is the pattern that would become the church. Christians are actually commanded to gather again and again and again and again. Primarily because we're forgetful. And we need this. We need to gather again and again, at least weekly. We need the weekly reset to clear out the clutter and to reorganize our priorities. Let me show you a tweet from Paul David Tripp. He says, corporate worship is designed to humble you by pointing out the depth of your need and enthrall you by pointing to the glory of God's provision. Many of you are lifelong churchgoers. You've been doing this for a long time. That's me. And I'm here to report that something supernatural, something beyond us occurs when we gather in humility and we sing with one voice these truths that are foundational to how we're designed and how the world is created and say in submission with one voice, your will be done. I would encourage you sometime, if you never sit in the first three rows, some Sunday, not all at once, or else it'd be a big problem. You'd all be fighting for the first three rows. Then we have to talk about fighting and giving way and outdoing one another and showing honor, all that stuff. So don't do it all at one week. But some week, come sit in the first three rows. There's something powerful about hearing God's people singing truth over you. That last song that we just sang is the gospel in a nutshell. There's so much of Peter's sermon that we just sang. And there's something powerful that's singing truth, right? God, you are in my story. That's a powerful lyric. It's a powerful idea. So we have this play button, we call it around here. And this is sort of a visual metaphor for Jesus's command for all disciples, which is make disciples. So he's made uh, disciples to make disciples, And we have worship, community, and share sort of as a bit of a pattern. Worship is that we come into relationship with God. When we're born again, we're not born again and left on the curb. We're born again into a family. So that's the word community. That's God's new family for you, the eternal family. And that we're not just born again into a family just to enjoy fellowship with God and one another, as great as that is. We are called and commanded to share. 
When you hear the word share around Neighborhood Bible Church, I want your brain to instantly go to two things. One is evangelism. What we're talking about today is sharing the good news. Sharing the good news in Christian language is called evangelism. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about sharing the good life. That all the believers were so devoted to one another that they sacrificially gave and shared with one another whoever had need. It's an amazingly beautiful picture. So when you hear the word share around here, think share the good news and share the good life. That's it. We mean that on both fronts at all times. Listen to Proverbs eleven twenty four. Close your eyes if it helps. Nothing's on the screen to see. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Some people have said this, you can't outgive God. You keep giving as he's commanded, you will find yourself blown away. We withhold what we should give and you only suffer want. All right. Look at the title this morning. This title picture is quite on purpose. We see this regularly. If you live at all in the digital realm, you find this all the time. Many people like the good news of Jesus. People comment on the good news of Jesus all the time. You can even subscribe to the good news of Jesus. But hear me really clearly. Only true disciples concern themselves, bother themselves to share the good news of Jesus. There's many others who do lots of things, but true disciples of Jesus are eager to share the good news of Jesus. We're going to see that today in the text so unequivocally clear. We are clearly and repeatedly commanded to open our mouth and share the good news of Jesus Christ, sometimes commonly referred to as the gospel. I may use that interchangeably because it's so ingrained in me, but gospel simply means good news, okay? Good news of Jesus. All right, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you seven ways that the Holy Spirit powers you to share the good news. Seven and the Holy Spirit seemed like a perfect match, so I went with seven. Here's number one. This is all going to be from Acts chapter 2, moving into Peter's sermon. Remember, the Holy Spirit had just come in a very profound and visible and unmistakable way on each and every Christian, empowering each and every Christian with the very presence of God. So number one is this, seven ways the Spirit powers you to share the good news. The Spirit powers you to share the good news together. It's so easy to read past this first little part of the sermon if you don't stop and pay attention to it. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says this, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice. Pause. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice. Man, those few words are so powerful, especially in light of the whole rest of the story that's going to happen in Peter's life, the whole rest of the story as the church spreads, all the comments of the New Testament. Here it is. It's one voice, but 12 strong. Peter's the spokesperson, but he's part of a team. Who are the 12? The 12 are the disciples of Jesus, minus who? Judas. What happened to Judas? 
Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself out of regret, out of realizing I betrayed the wrong person. So Judas is dead. Who's in his place? We didn't cover this a couple weeks ago, but it's right there in the text. His name is? Matthias. All right. He's usually the one that's like kind of forgotten. But Matthias is there. He's a brand new disciple. He takes his place, and he's part of this twelve. Peter knew he was not alone because the Holy Spirit was in him. Unequivocally, Christian, know that you're never alone. Whenever you're by yourself, you are not alone because God is with you. Amen? That's really powerful. It's powerful to sing. It's powerful to think about. It's powerful to remind yourself, sometimes out loud. Vaya con Dios. What does that mean? Go with God. Vaya con Dios is a great kind of send-off in the Spanish language. The beautiful picture is God goes with you. God goes with you. Go with God because God goes with you. Peter is not alone. He knows that. He knows that. But also, ministry is a team sport. God has provided Peter a group of men to gather around him. I was a brand new junior high pastor at Los Gatos Christian Church. And I had one of our elders, the single most intimidating elder on our elder board, in fact, Invite me out to Denny's. Denny's was big in the early 90s. Man, they were big. So I went and ate Denny's. I was a starving junior high pastor. You invited me anywhere for free food. I was like, hey, man, I'll come. So I went and met with Bob. Me and Bob met over some pancakes, some eggs, some bacon, whatever we had. And big, scary, intimidating Bob said this. He said, he said Dave... He said, as a pastor, as a leader, people are going to want things from you. They're going to want to be in your ear. They're going to want to have meetings. They're going to nitpick at you. They're going to to sort of champion you too loudly and criticize you too loudly. I want you to know I'm your guy. You have a scary parent meeting coming up. I'm your guy. Invite me. You have a, a question to sort of bounce off a spiritual theological thing, I'm your guy, seek me out. I'll keep doing this. I'm going to come take you to breakfast a few times a year, but don't wait. I'm your guy. Do you know how much courage that gave me? I was like, yes, sir. I love that he was my guy. I love that he told me that. I didn't know I needed a guy. I was a young junior high dude. I'm like, I don't know if I need a guy. I needed a guy. I need a bunch of guys. So Bob was my guy. And I thought, man, I, I really learned something. I thought, boy, that, that, is, that is really, really powerful. I want you to know that right now, this morning, we have people in our church, members of this church, and former members who have moved out of state that are praying over this morning right now, recognizing that something powerful happens, something beyond us happens when God's people gather to sit under biblical teaching. They are praying for me and my mouth. They're praying for this setting. This goes on all the time. I recognize that when I stand up here, I don't stand alone. There's one person speaking. There's many people praying. There's many people with me. Like Peter, share the good news as a team. Christianity is a team sport. Those of you in Christian clubs on high school campuses, you are not alone. 
Those of you in offices, those of you in cubicles, those of you called to share in living rooms, yours and your neighbors, don't go alone. You are not alone because of Jesus. Also wrap yourself, find your people, and go with them. Here's number two. The Spirit powers you to share the good news out of obedience. Why was Peter in the right place at the right time to be used of God in such an incredibly dramatic way? One word, obedience. That's it. That's how he finds himself being used this way. He acted on what he knew, and he didn't fear the fog. What did Jesus tell the disciples as he goes away blessing them? He says, you're going to be clothed with power on high to preach the gospel to the whole world. But first, go back to Jerusalem. What did they not know? Like, what is the sum of what they didn't know? Like, vast. I mean, just stadiumfuls of stuff. They had no idea like how this was going to happen. What did they know? Go to Jerusalem. They knew the way to, the, to, to Jerusalem. So they did it. They obeyed. They obeyed on what they knew. The plan was this big. God showed them this much. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So they did it. They went and, and obeyed. Hear me clearly. Obedience places... The right guy in the right place with the right power. That's what Acts 2 tells us. Obedience places the right guy, Peter, in the right place, Jerusalem, with the right power. Not his own. Not the collective genius of these 12. But power on high to accomplish the mission that's been given from on high. So without notes or preparation, this sermon that we're going to look at, and we're not going to read the whole sermon, by the way, but this sermon we're going to look at is given by Peter without any preparation, without any notes. He's not the keynote speaker here. He does what he's been told to do. Be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Then where? Judea and Samaria. Then where? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You'll be clothed with power and high. We got that. We saw that really clearly. We get it. Now be my witness here in Jerusalem. He speaks up. He speaks out. He bears witness. He proclaims. So share out of obedience. We're called by God to share in season and out of season, which means when you're pumped up to share and when you're not that pumped up to share. You are to share when it's sunny or when it's rainy. And I'm talking weather or disposition or circumstances, right? Share in season and out of season. Christian, share. Not because you feel like it. Not because you feel ready for it. Not because you feel comfortable doing it. Share not because you think it will make any difference. Share. That's the command. Act on what you know. Share out of obedience. (laughs) If I ask the question, on the count of three, tell me whether you love the center of attention or hate being the center of attention, your body language would tell the answer. Some of you would go, me! Right? Some of you might run up here, shove me off, and get under these lights. 
some of you just suddenly would go like this. Many of you would go like this. You're looking at me right now, you'd go, boom, you'd look away. Whatever he does, don't pick, don't say, I just need to pick one inch for it. Don't look at me. Don't see me. Don't be visibly. Hear me really clearly, Christian. Share whether you enjoy the spotlight or hate the spotlight. Share as an introvert. Share as an extrovert. God wired you, designed you with certain impulses, and he will use you exactly as you are. Share out of obedience. The Spirit will give you power. I have been at the right place, at the right time, with the exact right words, with the right power very clearly coming through me, not of my own. And I bet you have too. Keep it up. Once you have experienced that, you just go, man, I can't believe, God, that was so visibly you. I can't believe I read that for my devotions this morning, trying to just teach my kids something. But you had something lined up later on today for this person. I gave them a cup of spiritual cold water in the name of Jesus Christ, and I can't wait to do it again. Your life will be an ongoing adventure of looking to keep doing that over and over and over. Obedience puts you, the right person, in the right place at the right time. Obey in what you know. Share out of obedience. Here's number three. The Spirit powers you to share the good news where you are. A once in a lifetime miracle had just taken place the day of Pentecost. It's so big that people celebrate the day of Pentecost yearly around the globe, 2,000 years after it happened. Kind of a big deal. We're going to celebrate this year. Day of Pentecost is May 28th, and we're going to celebrate with a little picture of our own little Day of Pentecost moment that God's doing at our church. We're going to have a bilingual party out front. Sound good? What a perfect day to do a bilingual service, right? When you understand what the Day of Pentecost is, and you understand, maybe, maybe God will just allow us all to speak the language we know and understand a language we've never studied before. That's what goes on with the Day of Pentecost. It was so unique that it's called a miracle, but God could do it again. Peter seizes the moment and he opens his mouth. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, he's not alone, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, that'd be 9 a.m., But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So the moment calls for an explanation. All of a sudden, a mighty rushing wind happens. The gathering of devout uh, men of of, um, Jews from every nation are sort of gathered. And they're hearing in their own tongue from simple Galilean town folk their own language being uttered. And everyone's just going, what is happening? It calls for an explanation, and so Peter steps forward and gives it. Would you say this is an open door for world missions to begin to take place? Yes. Did Peter dream up this? No. How did Peter handle the open door? Quite simply, ready? He opens his mouth. I think there's a lesson here, church, for us. You walk through an open door of opportunity by opening your mouth. 
That scares some of you because you're like, I'm not a preacher, Dave. I'm introverted, Dave. I hate the, the, the limelight. I get nervous when I try to speak and talk about spiritual things. So do most of us. Walk through the open door by opening your mouth. Bear witness. Yes, with your life. Yes, with your attitude. Yes, with your face. People ought to see the joy of the Lord on your face once in a while, right? But give explanation. It wouldn't have been enough for Peter to be really, really kind to everyone, showing that God's kind to all the nations. It needed explanation, and he had the answer, so he opens his mouth. There's no need to try to duplicate Peter's sermon. One of the things with Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Praying through the Lord's Prayer is really, really powerful. It is crazy instructive to just meditate. I plead with you, meditate on the Lord's Prayer. But here's what's curious. People use the Lord's Prayer as their version of prayer in totality. He says, pray like this. He doesn't say, when you pray, pray these words and then you're done. In fact, he actually comments on, don't just use meaningless, repetitive words. Some of you had it drilled into you, our Father who art in heaven, right? You could say it right now in your sleep. In fact, you might mumble it in your sleep. Ask your spouse. Maybe you do. Good for you. I'd rather mumble the Lord's Prayer than something else. But that's not how it's to be used. Same with this sermon. We see at the end, he uses many other words to keep exhorting them. This isn't the totality of the sermon. So it's not that we come and repeat these exact words, but rather we repeat some of the things we see. He serves and ministers right where he is. Remember this? Why is the green location pin between the U and the R? To tell us this very thing. Share the good news of Jesus right where you are. The green location pin means go. Go and make disciples. Where? Right in the middle of where you are. All believers from this day of Pentecost on now share in the, the privilege and also the responsibility of what Old Testament prophets did. What did Old Testament prophets do? They lived intimately with God and were called to share the word of God faithfully. That is now being flung open to all believers. We all now have the Holy Spirit. We all now get to live intimately with God. What's more intimate than our bodies being the dwelling place of God, the temple of the living God? And we're called to share the word faithfully. Christian, that's you. If you're a four-week-old Christian, share right where you are. If you're a 40-year-old Christian, as in you've been a Christian for 40 years, share right where you are. That's the call and command and privilege. Here's the really powerful thing. You get to be the church individually where we can't be the church corporately. How many of you are going to go to class tomorrow? That's your plan. You're planning on going to, to school tomorrow. Eli, get your hand up. Thank you, sir. All right, good, good. All right, sorry, little parenting moment. Um, guess what? You're gonna go. <laughs> you're gonna go be the church individually, where we're not invited corporately. We're not all allowed to go into a John Muir classroom and go be witnesses for Jesus. We'd get kicked off, rightfully so, if we're all in the quad eating our lunch there together, being witnesses. You know who gets to be there? John Muir students do. Some of you are going to scan your way into an office tomorrow. Go with God. I am scanning in. I am the Christian. I am being allowed into this fortress to be a witness today. I get to be the church individually where we can't be the church collectively. Number four, the Spirit powers you to share the good news that you have. 
Hear me really clearly. Whenever you hear the word share, whenever you're called by God to give, you are never called to share or give what you don't have. Take a deep breath. Oh, that is such good news. We are a people prone to comparison. We're a people prone to kind of look at what others are due. We can either puff ourselves up with pride of how much we share when other people don't share nearly as much as us, or we're prone to despair. I don't give like that person. I don't share like that person. I'm not doing what they do. You are not called to share what you don't have. Wouldn't it be bizarre if I told my kids uh, to share with their siblings um, something that they don't have? Hey, share, share that with your siblings. I don't have it. Share it anyway. I would never do that. If a sinful, fallen, saved by grace person like me, father like me, can figure that one out, how much more our Heavenly Father? If you are hearing messages of how dare you don't share that, and you go, I don't have it, that's the voice of the enemy. Remember from last week, we're to test the spirits? One of the titles of Satan is he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser. If you're hearing accusation of sharing and giving what you don't have, reject that in the name of Jesus Christ. Celebrate what you do have. What did Peter have in abundance? Peter had passion. Peter had passion of a transformed life by the love of Jesus. Peter had experienced his own fresh start and new beginning. The mercy that Jesus offers. And now he can't wait to share this. What does God use in Peter? He uses a lifetime of biblical knowledge. He's quoting from Joel. He goes right to the Bible, which we'll get to in a second. But God suddenly infuses and ignites all these scriptures that he's been learning for a lifetime. Peter didn't have all knowledge and experience. In fact, mostly he was an expert in the art of fishing. That was his job. That was a vocation. That's what he spent a bulk of his day doing. But it turns out he had something else. He was an eyewitness. He was there. He says in this sermon, I saw these things happen. I was there. Peter was filled to the top of the mercy and love and forgiveness, restoration of God. That's what, that's what came out in his great love for these people. Many of us stop short of sharing because of the what-if syndrome. What's the what-if syndrome? What-if syndrome is running through all the scenarios in your head. I'm going to be with this person. Lord, give me opportunity. Oh, but that kind of scares me. I'm going to be with this person, but what if it doesn't work? Share out of obedience. What's the what-if syndrome? It's this. What if they ask me something I don't know? What if I get tongue-tied when I start to try and talk about the good news? What if they don't believe? What if it doesn't work? Well, here's my experience. They will ask you something you don't know. Here's a really powerful response. I don't know. Done. Check. You don't have all knowledge. Share what you have. I don't know. That's a really powerful thing. A more powerful thing is I'd love to find out with you. Let's go on a journey to find out that one together. I think there's good answers to that. Want to find out with me? I've done that many, many times. People take me up on it. How about this? You may get tongue-tied. Yeah, you may get tongue-tied. And God may untie it right there on the spot. I'll tell you, time and time again, I have said words in situations where I go, Lord, I have no idea how to do this, but out of obedience, I'm here with them. I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. I would simply want a friend with me. 
Many times God says, shh, don't say anything. Don't ruin this moment. Okay? It's your presence. There's plenty of times I begin to talk, and I say, wow, without notes or preparation, Holy Spirit, you just, you just move through me. Thank you for this holy moment. People have done the same to me. They've just shown up. And how about the results? Results are always up to God. Don't share because you can see the results. Share and be faithful. Stick with who you are and what you know. Isn't it good news that God doesn't need you to sell him? God does not need you to sell him. He doesn't need you to hustle him to people. That's not how he works. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 on the screen. It's in your notes also. You can look at this later. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This is Peter, by the way. He has this ministry of preaching by the mercy of God. He was the preacher of lies a few weeks ago. I don't know the man. I never knew the man. Now he's Jesus' loud, bold representative by the mercy of God. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Christian, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That's how we preach. That's how we share. This leads to a practical, a, a really practical how-to when it comes to sharing. Number five is this. The, power, the, the Spirit powers you to share the good news truthfully. Write down two things. Stick to Scripture and focus on Jesus. So, so how does the Spirit empower me to preach truthfully, stick to Scripture and focus on Jesus. Those two things come out in Peter's sermon. He builds from Scripture. The Scripture is good news already revealed. It's already written down. You can stand on that. So reveal Scripture to people. Verses 17 and 18, he's quoting Joel, and he's saying, 17 and 18, these verses are happening right now. This is the current reality. And then in the passage, he goes on in 19 through 21. He paints a picture, a future terrible day of judgment coming for those who aren't in Christ. We just sang that glorious day. Glorious day is going to be a hideous day from what the scripture describes it this way. People will hide their face. They will call for the mountains to fall on them. Falling into the hands of a living God. Who sees who we are and what we've done and what we haven't done. So he appeals to the prophet Joel. And then he drives it all back to Jesus. In a few short verses, he's going to give six truths about Jesus. That I have a systematic theology book that's this thick. And it explores each one of these in great detail. The scripture unpacks this more, but listen carefully. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, that's the incarnation, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. That's authentication. Not only did Jesus come from heaven, say he came from heaven, they were accompanied by signs and wonders. He says, as you yourselves know, verse 23, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's a crucifixion. Verse 24, God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death. That's resurrection. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, that's the ascension. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you, glorif- uh, who, whom you crucified. That's his glorification. So incarnation, authentication, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, glorification. He's focusing on Jesus. In your sharing of the good news, People will always come at you with every single social issue in all of world history that their phone can possibly pull up for them. It's a lot, trust me. Arm yourself with, I don't know, for the moment, even if you have opinions. I have a lot of opinions. You ask me my opinion, I'm like, oh, well, let me tell you. Pause. (laughs) What will you do with Jesus, the man? What will you do with this one that very clearly, Jews, fulfills all of your scriptures, authenticated with signs and wonders? We're talking in a day when we all saw this happen. He's preaching to the crowd that was there. As a witness, Peter takes the stand, tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. If you're serious about being used by God, share diligently what you have and keep seeking more. I bring my kids around me. I huddle them. I say, hey, listen, take these things. Take, take some of these treats. I want you to share these with all the neighborhood kids who are, who are out in front. Very quickly, one of my kids comes back. He's empty-handed. He says, I need some more. Did you, did you give those away already? Did you share them? No, not yet. I just need, I need a little bit more time, but I just need some more. As a wise father, what do I do with the treats? Give him more or not? Maybe there's some question here, right? But But... I think that's a picture of us asking for God more and more wisdom, more and more peace, more and more and more and more and more. God says, give away what you already have. Share. The disciples are the ones who give out the bread and the fish when that miracle occurs. Remember that? If one of them has a basket full and sets it aside because he's really, really, really hungry and asks for more, I don't think Jesus gives him more. I think he says, I'm giving you this to share. You're going to be filled up, I promise you, way more than bread and fish today. So stop asking for more and more if you aren't willing to share. The Spirit is power on purpose. The Spirit is given to us for a purpose. Join with God. He is working fresh starts and new beginnings in people all around you and in yourself. Number six, the Spirit powers you to share the good news boldly. We just saw verse 36 where he gets to the heart of it. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Gavel slams down guilty. You killed God. That's what he's saying in the sermon. How's that for boldness? This is not entertaining or soft-selling preaching to gain converts. There's a lot of entertainment, soft-selling going on that gains a lot of converts. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
If my preaching never offends you, I don't think you're getting the message or I'm not giving it right. If your quiet times are always quiet and peaceful with the Lord, I don't think you're doing it right. I think there might be tampering with the simple message of God. The word of God is a mirror to us. It's convicting. This supernatural courage of Peter is born out of supernatural love. Old Peter is a proven denier and avoider. I never knew the man. Stop asking me about it. I swear I never knew him. That's old Peter. How about new Peter? New Peter is bold as a lion. New, new, new Peter is filled with courage. Peter loves enough to injure, and he loves enough to risk injury. Do you know how passionate people are in the Middle East about their gods? It's in the news every day. Watch for it. Just go look for it. We see in the book of Acts, there's some beatdowns that are going to come. There are some deaths coming in a few short moments in church history. Peter loves enough to injure in love. It's you people. It's all, the whole, all Jews are guilty of killing God. And he's courageous enough, bold enough to risk personal injury. Peter has their attention. He spoke the truth and the Bible does its work. Look at Hebrews. This is such an encouraging passage for all of us. For the word of God is living and active, sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him who must give an account. Before Peter can even give the remedy, the people are ready. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Why? Because Jesus uh, stuck to Scripture and focused on Jesus. That's why. And the Word of God has its effect. They're cut to the heart. They said, Peter, what must we do? Last one. Number seven, the Spirit powers us to share the good news graciously. What should we do? How do we make this right? What's the path of escape? Tell us! Remember the audience he's preaching to? These are devout men, religious people from all over the known world. These are all pro-doers. I'll tell you, the instinct that something must be done is accurate. When you're really convicted of your own sin, your natural response is, what should we do? That's accurate. I'll tell you what's perpetually inaccurate is what mankind comes up with to make themselves right with God. You and your, in your flesh will never get it right, ever. What would devout men from all over the world say? Want us to pray more? We'll do it. Give more? Serve more? Work harder? Study? We're all over it. Tell us, Peter. Does this sound familiar? It sounds familiar probably to your own heart, doesn't it? God, I'm so sorry. I know something must be done. And we turn it inward on what we should do to get right with God. What's the good news of the gospel? It's that he does it all. What needs to be done has been done. It is finished. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, 
and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The answer of what must be done is so incredibly simple, a child can understand it, and so incredibly simple that the proud cannot accept it. That's it. No going to the Jordan to get baptized. No, you know, witnessing for a number of years. No beating my back until it's red and bloody. Surely something must be done. It has been done. Call upon the name of the Lord. Repent and be baptized is how he says it here. We talk about repentance a lot in here because we need it. Repent is to change our mind. Turn around. When you change your mind, you change your direction from a life of sin and self to a life of God and grace. That's what repentance is. We had baptism class, and one person just said, could you define baptism? I thought of a better definition than I gave at baptism class. Here it is. Get wet. That's it. There's a baptistry right here behind the screen. We're going to have baptisms here in a couple of weeks. Get wet. Go under the water and come back up. That's what baptism is. Why would you do that? Well, it's a simple first step of obedience. What, do disciples, what are disciples of Jesus? They hear and do what Jesus says, period, full stop. Jesus says, be baptized in my name, every one of you. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In baptism class, here's baptism class in a nutshell. First thing, why should I get, man, why should I get, get baptized? Number one, because Jesus commanded it, period, class over. Like, honestly, there's nothing needed else in baptism class except for that. Our true disciple says, okay, I'll do it. If Jesus said, eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich, I'd go eat it. If he said, make a a trip to the Holy Land, I I would do that. Whatever the first step you tell me. It's get wet. It's get baptized. Follow me. A whole other sermon is this. It's telling what Peter doesn't say in response to that question. When you're sharing the good news and people say, what should I do to get saved? Please don't say, go to church. Please don't say, become a member of a church. Please don't say, read your Bible. Please don't say, pray or give 10%. Please don't say, stop going to rated R movies. Please don't say, change your filthy language from cursing to blessing. Don't say any of those things. Will Jesus lead you to do all those things? Probably. He's led me to do all those things in my life. But none of it's saved. You will perpetuate the lie that you somehow save yourself. Please say repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Get baptized. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. That's it. What an incredible harvest. Verse 40, look at it. And with many other words, he bore witness, continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were that day added about 3,000 souls. Some will receive the words you give, some won't. Let the words that you give, by the way, be God's words. They're receiving or rejecting God, not you. All right, close with this. We've been talking about the Golden Gate Bridge as kind of a metaphor for the certainty of God and this walk that we have in life. We've been using the fog of San Francisco uh, to sort of picture what it feels like to go through life with mystery. I opened this morning with the idea of being stuck. Hear me clearly. You will forever think you are stuck unless you you view life 
from the vantage point of eternity. Let me say that again because I fumbled through that. You will forever think you are stuck in this life unless you view this life from the vantage point of eternity. I got a text this week from a friend. Here's what the text said. The path is clear. Keep walking on the bridge. What an encouragement. This is God's view all the time. He's above your foggy day. He's above the picture of where it is. When he says keep going, keep going. When he says go to Jerusalem and wait, trust him. When he says I'm in your story through a song at church on Sunday, walk forward with that. Go with God on that. So how about you? First things first to activate. If you are a sinner without Christ and you're repentant, it won't offend you that I just called you a sinner. You'll say, yes, that's me. How about me? What do I do? You repent and get baptized, each one of you, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Max Lucado shares this true story about a mother who was heartbroken when she awakes one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Her daughter, Christina, had always said she wanted to leave the small town for the big city. So Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all, and at each place she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long, that, uh, it wasn't too long before both money uh, and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept on the bus as she began her long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet, the, the, yet her little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again. And there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed this photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. This is what forgiveness feels like. It feels like coming home. 
This is the invitation that goes out to you. That a loving parent spends all that he has to pursue you with that good news. Friend, that's the invitation of Christ. That, if you're not a Christian today, is the God you are rejecting. You'll notice in this picture, Alcatraz Island. You know what the gospel is? It's a jailbreak. You're free. You are not stuck. You're not enslaved. Come home. That's you today. If you have never prayed and said, God, I want this. Here's the simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner. Help me. I repent. means I turn around. I change my mind about rejecting you. I give you control. I yield to you. Would you come into my life? And you know what? He will in an instant right now. Let me have the band come on up. Maybe you're a Christian here without courage. Maybe you're a Christian here without grace. Maybe you're a Christian who shares, but not out of obedience and love. Here's my word to you. You are commanded to share. Here's the generosity of God. In a single sermon, what we see is that the command to share not only unlocks the hearer, it unlocks the preacher. How verifiably unstuck is Peter? Peter, the one who denied a few weeks ago to his great public shame when his Lord and Savior needed him most, he betrays him on that night. There's a scene on the beach where Jesus comes to Peter doing what he knew to do, which was go fishing. And he comes to Peter, he asks him three times, do you love me? And each time Peter says, Lord, you know I do. What does he say to him? He says, feed my sheep. Three questions for three denials. Full restoration. Weeks later, he's bold as a lion, gracious and tender as the lamb. Let's pray. God, you show us how to share the good news. God, I pray that week after week, we would be uncomfortable if we sit here and hear the good news once again and do nothing about it. Would we be a church that would be uncomfortable for nominal Christians? Christians who want more and more and more with zero intent of using your power for your purpose. God, I thank you that I serve in a church. I'm a part of a body who routinely experiences you working in and through us to help people to fresh starts and new beginnings. God, you've done that in our life. We lovingly, courageously, graciously walk in obedience this week. Amen.